We are looking at repentance. We're in part four of our series on repentance. We use Acts 3.19 as kind of our centering verse, but we're looking at the book of Revelation here. We're looking at the churches that Jesus spoke to and told to repent. And we're going to do more of that this morning, Lord willing. Let's thank God for the word. And then I'm going to read Revelation chapter 2, 18 through 29 this morning. A lot of text here speaking to the next church in line. Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness and that we can sing about your goodness in church and we can just revel in the fact that you've always been faithful to us, Lord God. You're faithful to your church because, Jesus, it's your church and you're the head and you correct your church. And, Father, we want to learn about repentance and how we need to incorporate it into our daily living. Father, teach us this morning and help us to be pliable and teachable in your hands, God, this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name and the church said Amen. Now, repentance isn't something we just do to get into the kingdom of God. You know, we give an altar call, people raise their hand, they repent of their sins, they receive Jesus, they cry a few tears, and they're good. No, that's not the end of repentance. Repentance has to be a part of our lifestyle as Christians. And I've asked this question rhetorically a couple weeks in a row, but anyone have a sinless week this week? And that same person keeps raising their hand. No, I'm just kidding. None of us have. We've all sinned, so we need to ask forgiveness for our sin. We need to repent of habitual sins, of patterns of sin, and repentance should be part of our Christian walk. And so many times we, we don't incorporate it and we just keep going on and, and forward and making messes and making trouble and digging ditches. You know, the first rule of ditches is when you're in a ditch, stop digging. And repentance is what stops that. And we, God restores us. He refreshes us. He takes the burden of sin off. And so we're looking at repentance here, and we understand that it's not just the unsaved that need to repent and be saved. It's the saved that need to repent and stay useful in the kingdom of God. So let's listen to what Jesus says to the churches here as he corrects them. And now remember, this is not to the world. This is not to the lost. This is not to the wicked. These, this is to people who consider themselves to be Christians. And in Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 18, Jesus has a lot to say to this church. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, listen, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent and their, of their deeds. I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each one according to your works. Now to you, I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. 
He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessel, as I also have received from my father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So a lot is said here to this church, and we're looking at Thyatira. Now remember, we looked at the churches. The first was Ephesus, and that was the Apostles' Church. And their, their issue was that they had left their first love. And how many understand it's easy to let your love grow cold for Jesus by being distracted of all the things in this world? Anyone, anyone get distracted by life, by all the stuff that's out there? I mean, you could just look at stuff online. You could look at YouTube all day, one rabbit hole to the next. And we have people out there that that's basically what they do. You know, they had left their first love, and so we need to keep our love relationship with Jesus alive. How's your love life today? <laughs> Sounds like it's hot and passionate from here. Well... Don't let the sizzle fizzle. Stay in love with Jesus. <laughs> the second church was Pergamos, and they were the compromising church. They had compromised with some false doctrine. We looked at those in detail, but compromise is another thing. Once your love gets cold, compromise is right there. It's what happens next. So there's some sequential attributes to the way these churches have, uh, you know, flowed from one issue to the next. As we continue to explore, you know, from losing your first love to, uh, you know, being compromised doctrinally, uh, we look at the next church in line, and that's the church of Thyatira. And I read to you all about what Jesus says to the church. Now, if the first church was the Apostles' Church, then Pergamos was the compromised church. Thyatira is the corrupt church. I want you to say corrupt like you mean it. Yeah, just not good corruption. And we can see in our nation, in our, you know, in our city, in our country, all around the world, corruption is something that is on the increase, amen? I mean, not amen in the sense that's good, it's a bad thing, but we see the crime and the murder and, you know, the lawlessness that's all around us. It's increasing, and it's, it's no accident that, you know, we're talking about corruption here because the corruption of the world eventually seeps into the church. And so Thyatira was the corrupt church. And in verse 18, it starts off uh, Jesus speaking to Thyatira, but it gives a vivid description of Jesus. Now listen to this. It says, to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, and I want you to get this picture of Jesus in the theater of your mind. He says, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. Both of those things speak of judgment. You know, when, when you're in trouble, you remember when you were a kid and you did something really bad, and your mom came in the room with the eyes that were flaming with fire? Come on. Come on, man, I'll tell you what, Ginny didn't wait for Fred to get home. She had a belt of her own to use. Man, but you knew you were in trouble. And when mom had that look on, boy, I mean, think about this. Jesus' eyes, they're not tender, they're not gentle. It's not that there's mercy in them. They are flaming. And his feet are like fine brass. Both of these imageries speak of judgment. And he's come to Thyatira to judge them. Because why? They are so corrupt. They are so wicked. He's infuriated with it. And the picture that's painted here is that it's one of judgment. And he comes to speak judgment over them. We do well to remember that Jesus is not only the gracious, gentle, loving Lamb of God. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the judge of the living and the dead. He will impartially judge all men. 
Those who refuse to accept him as Savior and Lord will meet him as judge. And the truth is, all of us will sit before Jesus and judge, sit before Jesus in judgment some way. The lost will sit before the great white throne. And if your name is not in the Lamb's book of life and you haven't accepted Christ, you will answer to Jesus for your sins. Every Christian will sit before the Bema seat where Jesus will judge our works. And we're going to answer for what we did with the gifts and opportunities and anointings that he gave us. Listen to 2 Timothy uh, for one, I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, whom shall judge the living and the dead, the quick and the dead, at his appearing and at his kingdom. So Jesus is the judge. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.10. For you must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, so that each one may receive compensation for his deeds done through the body in accordance with what was done, whether good or bad. Jesus is the judge. And one way or another, we will face his judgment. So he starts off with that description, eyes of flaming fire, feet of fine brass. Verse 19 continues, and as with the form here, Jesus does acknowledge the things that Thyatira did well. He says, I know your works, love, service, faith, and patience. How many would say that sounds pretty good? They got some works. They got some love. Amen. There's some love there. You ever been in a place where there was no love? Two or three people. Yeah, I heard you, Pastor Mike. Poor Pastor Mike. He's the only one that answers and he don't hear the rest of you. Not saying anything. But, you know, if you've been in a place where there's no love, whether it's a, a household or a kitchen table or just a, a work site, man, where people just, they could care less. These guys had love. Maybe you've been to a church where there was no love. I hear people say that. We went to a church. It was all cliques and gossip. And, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. But if you've ever been in a situation where there's no love, you know, to have love is a good thing. They had good works. They had love. They were doing some good stuff. And Jesus acknowledges it. And I want to point that out. I'm belaboring that point a little bit because we need to understand just because we're producing some fruit doesn't mean that we don't have issues that need to be addressed. Just because we're doing a lot of good doesn't mean we need to find the place of repentance over something that's really dangerous to us spiritually. So when people want to point to their works and their good deeds and their fruit and their, their mission fund and how much they give and show you their W-2, listen, that's all great. But we've got to address the issues that are on Jesus' heart because he is the judge. It's great that they had spiritual fruit, and it's great that they were doing good things. And it's even great that what they were doing was actually increasing. It says, as for your works, the last are more than the first. So check that out. These guys, as people are losing their love for God, and they're going back into the world, they start, a lot of people start off good, and then they fizzle out. These guys started off kind of not so good, but they're ramping it up. Did you catch that? Your works now, so you're doing better. And, and there again, that's a great thing. But in verse 20, Jesus unloads his heart upon them with those eyes flaming with fire to get their attention because he has some serious 
things against them. And verse 20 says this, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because, listen, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Let's take a look at what's going on here. First of all, I want to point out this. He's not saying that those in Thyatira are necessarily doing these things, but he says it's because you allowed them. Did you catch that? Did you catch it? Let me read it to you again. Nevertheless, I have this against you because you allow. It's a sobering thought to think we can be found guilty in the sight of God for the things that we allow to happen on our watch that we don't confront. Wow, it's really quiet today. Do you know, we as Christians are supposed to be salt and light in the earth. We're supposed to bring light in the darkness. We're supposed to bring salt and savior to the bland things. And we're, we're supposed to be uh, the ones that bring the good news of the gospel. We have a duty before God to confront the evil of our day. We have a duty before God to confront the things that contradict scripture and undermine the truth and pollute the gospel. As Christians, we have to confront those things. If we don't, God say, well, you didn't do it, but you allowed it. You know, we can't be silent about the moral issues of the day. We can't be silent about the sexual perversion. We can't be silent as they try to pass laws to normalize pedophilia. We can't be silent as they try and bring, uh, you know, drag queens to read stories to our children. Why, why do these people want to be around our children? The church can't be silent. Jesus says, I have this against you because you allow. Well, pastor, you know I'm not a fighter. I'm a lover, and I just, you know, I want to go below the radar, and I don't make any trouble, and I don't want people to not like me. I'd rather be a fool in the eyes of men. I'd rather be rejected by the generation than be a fool in the eyes of God. So this church, they hadn't necessarily done these things or cooperated with these things. We're going to look at that as we unfold this, but they allowed it to happen in their midst, and God saw them as guilty, and he came to them in judgment. Good morning, Full Gospel Center. You know, it's a lovely day out there. The birds are tweeting. I heard the turkeys gobbling this morning. Let's talk about Jezebel. God has a sense of humor. So Thyatira is allowing some things to happen on their watch. They're not being salt and light. They hadn't confronted uh, this doctrine, this spirit. Uh, th they didn't expose it. They didn't resist it. They allowed it to take root in the church. Now, what does Jesus mean when he says, you allowed that woman Jezebel? Let's talk about Jezebel a little bit this morning. Jezebel was King Ahab's wicked, evil, immoral wife in the Old Testament. You can read about Jezebel. Jezebel in uh, First and Second Kings. I encourage you to do that. Find out all about her, the things she did. We're going to talk about some of it this morning. But he's talking about Jezebel, this pagan woman who came in and, and, and was Ahab's queen. And the two of them together were wicked. And they, they, they brought moral rot to Israel in a way that just offended God and disrupted the, the plan of God in Israel. Jezebel was a manipulator. She manipulated leadership. She 
persecuted and murdered the prophets of God, and she sought to replace them with her own false prophets. You're going to see that the the Jezebel spirit is a manipulating spirit. It's a sexualized spirit that uses seduction to, to, to manipulate leadership, and it wants to silence the voice of God and replace it with another voice. You see, the prophets were the mouthpiece of God. They spoke the word of God to Israel. Jezebel hated them. She wanted them silenced, and she literally murdered the prophets and tried to replace them with their own prophets of Baal. Wow. Jezebel was a cancer on Israel, and Ahab facilitated her. Jezebel was sexually immoral. She was a usurper of everything godly. She wanted to replace God's voice with the voice of false prophets. Now, this Jezebel that I'm talking about here in First and Second Kings in the Old Testament was long gone when Thyatira was a church and is long gone as Jesus speaks to Thyatira. So what I want you to see here is that, you know, Jesus is not speaking about Jezebel, who's a member of the church at Thyatira. She doesn't live down the street. She's not, you know, part of the congregation. No, she's dead and gone, but he's referring to the spirit of Jezebel that affected that church and still affects the churches today. Jezebel was long gone, yet her spirit remained, and that wicked spirit that she brought to Israel was afflicting Thyatira. It was involved in the operation of the church, and Jesus was furious that they allowed it to remain. Now, verse 20, if you dig into it and look past the surface, you're going to find five marks of the Jezebel spirit. So we know we're not talking about a literal person because they never met Jezebel. We're talking about a spirit here that comes from Jezebel. Verse 20, once again, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Listen, because you allowed that woman Jezebel, we got that, who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Number one, the first mark of the Jezebel spirit is this. It hijacks the prophetic. Understand, the prophetic ministry is part of the fivefold ministry of the church. When I'm preaching this morning, what I'm doing is I'm being prophetic. I'm preaching the word of God under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and it's prophetic. When people come up and share words and share words from the Lord and give encouragements, that's the prophetic ministry in some form in our church. Jezebel wants to hijack the prophetic ministry. Why? Because she wants to silence the voice of God and repace it with another voice. If you've been involved in charismatic or any kind of Christianity that allows the prophetic, you know there are people that say, thus saith the Lord, when the Lord didn't say it. And the problem is when they get up there with a different agenda and prophesy with a different spirit and try to cancel out the word of God and replace it with the word of Baal, it is an offense to God. So we have to be careful with the prophetic ministry. You know, we vet these things. The people that come up are solid and they're they're used of God. If there's ever something that is said prophetically that's off, we will correct it. You can ask Pastor Mike. We were in Bible school one time in a chapel service, and one prophet got up and prophesied one thing, and another prophet got up and prophesied another thing, and the pastor said, that's wrong, that's right, sit down, keep going. Now you look scared. You know I'm a gunslinger like that. So 
understand, the prophetic is something that Jezebel wants to hijack. Why? She wants to silence God's voice and inject her own. Number two, the second mark of the Jezebel spirit is this. She seeks the opportunity to teach God's people. Look what it says here. What? Uh, you know, that she wanted this this office, she wanted this place to teach from. That woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, we got it, to teach and seduce my people. Jezebel wants to teach. Jezebel wants you to come to her so she can teach you. And understand something, teaching and preaching and ministry in the church has to be under the covering and the anointing of church leadership. I've been around for 30 years. I've watched a lot of things. I've seen a lot of people. You know what I'm talking about. They'll say, oh, let me come. You come here. Let's get here. Let's go in the back room. Let me teach you a Bible study. Let me teach you this. Be very careful who you let teach you. Make sure they have the covering and the anointing of sound, godly leadership, amen. I've seen it split churches. I've seen it split marriages. I've seen it destroy families. And it starts off with, let me teach you. She seeks the opportunity to teach. Number three, she seduces, look at that, seduces God's servant. So it hijacks the prophetic, it, it wants to teach God's people, and then it uses seduction to manipulate them. Listen, anyone that has to seduce you or manipulate you or try to control you, that is a huge red flag, if you can't tell when you're being manipulated, if you can't tell when you're being seduced, uh, we need to pray for your discernment level. But most of us can tell. You know that person that's so sugary and so flowery, and oh, and you're so wonderful, and you're so anointed, and you're so handsome, and you're ba -ba 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 -ba. I've always, that never worked with me. I'm like, oh, no, I'm not. I got a mirror. I know what's going on here. You're not, not fooling me. Why are you saying that? It's not true. We know it's not true. Sounds good. I like hearing it, but I know it's not right. <laughs> you ever have somebody saying something to you like, that ain't right, but it sounds good. <laughs> now, I don't know what it is, but being from the city, the way my parents brought me up, I, I, can, I can tell somebody trying to play me from like a mile down the road. You know, and we should have that discernment, but she wants to seduce you. She wants to tell you all the happy, clappy, goosebumpy things. And listen, I, I'm talking about Jezebel here, and I'm talking about the Jezebel spirit. And let me just say, the Jezebel spirit is not just something that ladies struggle with. Men can operate in the Jezebel spirit too. Um, it's predominantly, you know, gives itself over to women because it uses sensuality to control leadership. But I've seen men operate in the Jezebel spirit and the Ahab one as well. Now, if you look really confused out there, it's a deeper study, but just, you know, I'm not trying to make this, you know, let, let's beat up on Jezebel and all women today. No, that's not what this is about. This is the spirit that seeks to control and dominate and, and, and bring in immorality. And so, uh, you know, these things here we need to watch out for. The, the fourth one is it's always, there's always an element of sexual immorality in place. When someone is flirtatious, when someone is inappropriate, some, when someone is overtly or even subtly sexual about spiritual things, that is a huge red flag. It's something as ministers we learn to spot and watch out for, otherwise we don't survive the ministry. But it's something as the body of Christ we have to learn too. Uh, so understand, there is always an element of immorality in the sexual realm associated with Jezebel. Number five, it replaces godly practices with idolatrous ones. Look what it says here. Teaching them what to eat things sacrificed to idols. 
I'll do it the world's way. Forget about what the Bible says. Try this. You know, or no, no, I know the word of God says that, but you know, these are new times, they're new things, we gotta, we gotta do this, we gotta do that. And, and then there becomes a, a, a watering down of the gospel, a pollution of the worship, a pollution of the preaching. And that's what we see in the church today, that we don't, we don't preach this anymore. A lot of places would just, it's a social gospel, it's a worldly gospel, it's a politically correct gospel. And we see the watering down of worship. I, I talked about worship a little bit in first service and the fact that we have to actually now, because of some of the people that are generating the worship music that the majority of the body of Christ sings, there's so much perversion and immorality and bad theology in those groups that we have to vet every song before we play it up here. And there's some groups that we just, we just quit taking from them. Why? Because they support homosexuality. They support abortion. They support gender confusion. There, there's a, a group that made, was making songs, and when Roe versus Wade got overturned, they pitched a big fit. Well, you can keep your stinking songs. I don't want any part to do with them. I don't want one dime of my money going to anyone who supports ungodly nonsense. And neither should you. We're going to see that those who tolerated Jezebel were guilty of what she did. It's time for us to draw a line in the sand and say we're not going to partner. We're not going to compromise. We are not going to allow the corruption to touch us. Five marks of Jezebel. Now, in verse 21 through 23, we get some insights into the nature of repentance. And remember, that's what this whole series is about <clears throat> We're learning about Jezebel. We're learning about spirits that afflict the church. We're learning about the things that offend God that have been allowed to happen in the body of Christ. But we also need to remember this is about repentance, which needs to be part of our daily lives. Listen again to verses 21 through 23. And I gave her time, say time. I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her in a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death. Wow. This is Jesus speaking. You know, I've noticed death is a good way to kill someone. <laughs> kill them with death. Well, that's pretty sobering. I will kill her children with death. What does that mean? Those that follow her, who, who, who sit and learn from her teaching and practice what she teaches, I, I'll kill them with death. Wow. Listen, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the mind and the hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Let's take a look at what we learn there about repentance. Number one, repentance is granted to us as an act of kindness by God. I touched on this a little bit. Don't ever think, oh, I repented because, you know, I, I, you know I'm such a godly person and I realized that, you know, I had a little sin here. And so, I, no, we repent. If, if it wasn't for God, none of us would repent because our flesh would say, man, keep sinning, find new ways to sin, increase your sin. That's the nature of sin. But God uh, stops us and God convicts us and God gives us repentance as a gift and he grants it to us as an expression of his mercy. Listen to Romans 2.4. Paul is speaking, he says, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and the restraint and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. Paul is saying, don't, you know, are you, are you think so lightly of his riches and kindness and look, the restraint and patience, what does that mean? God could have taken any of us out at any time while we were in our sin. 
but he gave us time. How many are here because God was patient? <laughs> Everybody's raising their right now. No, no, I was born saved, always been saved, came out speaking in tongues. No, God was patient with me. Anybody, you know, when you were a teenager, when you were a knucklehead, when you made every bad decision you could ever make. I think back, you know, to the things that, you know, most of us should be dead or in jail. Either, um, all the guys are like, yeah, yeah, there's, there's. <laughs> the, you ladies are a little bit, you know, you're a little bit better off. But, you know, us, God, the things we did. I can't say too much. My parents are right there. But, you know, it's God's grace. Right, Lewis? God's grace. It's a miracle that, that we're here today. <laughs> Clothed and in our right minds. So we did think lightly of his riches, lightly of his kindness. Yeah, repentance is a gift from God, is an act of God's kindness towards us that he was so patient that he waited for us to get it. Number two, repentance is a process. Look what it says. I gave her time to repent. See, time. See, it's a process, and it's a process that takes time. You know, at the end of first service, some powerful words came, and there, there was a need for us to repent, but the, really, it wasn't something we couldn't just do mechanically. Why? Because repentance is a process. It need, we need time to do it. You know, anyone ever get corrected and immediately change everything in your life? You know, the doctor tells you about your blood work, and he's like, um, you're going to die. <laughs> and you need, anybody ever been to the doctor's for that appointment? One time I was coming out of the doctor's office, and I got my blood work, and it wasn't that good. And when I walked out in the office in Hopa, I looked up, and God is my witness, there were buzzards flying over my head. <laughs> I just, I'm holding this thing, Tony, and I just start laughing. I'm like, that's not good. I, it's not funny, God. But it's like you get the report and you got to change things. You know, your, your triglycerides, your cholesterol, your this, that. You can't just go, I'm good. No, you got to stop eating certain things. You got to exercise. You got you to reverse the course. That's what repentance is. It takes time, it's a process. We, we can't just do it in the blink of an eye. And so. Because God is gracious and he's merciful, he, he gives us the gift of repentance and the time to do it. Number three, the opportunity to repent can be squandered. Look what it says here. She would not repent. So God could be gracious. God could be kind. God could give you the time to do it. And you and I can still stiffen up our necks and say, no, I'm not going to repent. Think of Pharaoh in the Bible. He had 10 plagues to repent. Each one got worse and worse and worse, and he wouldn't repent. And who is the God of Israel that I should obey him? And who does this get? And it got worse and worse till he held his dead firstborn son in his hands. And he hardened his heart, and he hardened his heart. God was merciful, God gave him the time, but he stiffened his neck and he refused to repent. Repentance can be refused, which brings me to number four. Resisting God's gracious gift of repentance will bring the opposition of God to your life. It says, indeed, she wouldn't repent. So listen to verse 22. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. How many know, you know what, you and I, sometimes the conviction of the Holy Spirit doesn't get our attention, but when something touches our body, all of a sudden, it's got our attention. Anyone, you get sick, you get the bad report, you, you get the, 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 the blood work and the buzzards. 
And you're like, oh, no. You know, and then all of a sudden it's got, I, I will cast her into a sickbed. So what happened here? She refused to repent. And then things got ratcheted up. Things got ramped up. And I want you to see this. Even, even in that, God is showing mercy. When God gives us another chance, when we blow our chance and we waste our time. Anybody ever knew you had to get your act together, but you wasted your time? It's kind of like, you know, when you had to do reports in school. And you had the whole semester, you know, and, uh, or it's, it's the science fair. And now it's 1230 at night and you're gluing a volcano together. Your dad's trying to help you. Kicking you. We wait to the last minute. And because she, she refused repentance, then all of a sudden, now there was the pushback and the opposition of God. And number five, the, the fifth thing we learn about repentance here is if we wasted our time and our opportunity and we don't take the second and the third chances, eventually uh, the refusal to repent will bring the wrath of God. It says, I will kill her children with death. We talked about this. It's amazing when there is, a t- there is a time, there is a point where God gives you one last chance. You think about those people, you know, get your act together. Get, stop doing this. Stop hanging with those people. Stop putting that in your body. Stop being drunk. Stop looking at pornography. Stop doing the adultery thing. Stop. Stop. And, and no. And then all of a sudden, boom. Car accident. Heart attack. Cancer. Gone. It's a fearful thing for a sinner to fall into the hands of an angry God. The refusal to repent will bring the wrath of God, and the judgment of God is final. Number six, the sixth mark of repentance is this. The destruction of the unrepentant will produce the fear of God in everyone. See, when people won't repent and God brings judgment, that gets everybody's attention. It says here, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your work. So check that out. When the judgment finally comes and, the, and, and, and God's wrath finally touches, what does it do? It brings the fear of God upon everybody. You remember those two bananas in the Bible who tried to tell the Holy Spirit that, you know, Ananias and Sapphira, oh, yeah, we sold the land and here's the money. Boom. They fell down dead. Boom. They fell down. And, what? and the whole church is like, <gasps> boy, that'll straighten everybody out, right? Like when you're in school and you're bad in class and one kid gets dragged out by the ear. I went to Catholic school, man. They lump you up and drag you out. <laughs> Some kids I never saw again. I don't know what happened to them. But, you know, like, then all over the, the class, I used to watch, like, the class would straighten up. <laughs> Judgment, wrath, all of that, it brings the fear of God, and that's a good thing. Verse 24 through 25, Jesus has something to say to the remnant in Thyatira. Now, let's take a look at this here, and let's talk about a remnant today. Now to you, I say, so he's speaking to some of them. They allow these things to happen. He rebukes them for that, but they're not participating. To you, I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine. So he calls that practice of the spirit of Jezebel uh, allowed to function in the church. He calls it a doctrine. You who have not known the depths of Satan, wow, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast 
what you have till I come. So what he's doing here is he's talking to those, you know, they've seen some things happen. They didn't participate. They didn't condone it, but it happened on their watch. They get rebuked for that. But he's saying, you guys haven't, you know, held to this doctrine. You haven't supported it. So I'm speaking to you. And what he's actually doing is he's speaking to what the Bible calls a remnant. Now the word remnant means a small surviving group. Unfortunately, in a lot of churches, in a lot of eras, in a lot of situations, there's only a small group of people that stay true to Jesus and stay true to the word. And everyone else, like Noah's generation, gets swept away with the wickedness of the generation. So he's speaking to the remnant here, the small surviving group. God has always maintained a remnant for himself. He did it in Israel. He, he does it now with the Jews now. He, he, he made remnants in the church, remnants in the church ages. Always he keeps a group of people. You see, the remnant was so small in Noah's time there. Just a handful of people survived that generation. Here's what Romans 11.2.5 says. God has not rejected his people who he foreknow. Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? Now, interestingly enough, Elijah was the one who was, you know, Jezebel is trying to kill Elijah. She'd kill all the prophets. Now, listen to what it says here. How he pleads with God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars. And I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. God's answer. But what is the divine response to him? Here's what God says. I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And in the same way then, there has also come to be at this present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. So God always keeps a remnant. Who are they? They're those who refuse to bow to the culture, bow to the wickedness of the generation, bow to the, you know, the things that the world tries to force upon us. And God says, look, what I have 7,000 men. The prophet's like, everybody's dead. She's killed everybody. She's coming after me now. Help me, Jesus. And God's like, you know, Jesus wasn't there yet if you're paying attention, but, you know, <laughs> God's like, no, you're not the only one, buddy. I got 7,000 men who represent families with wives and children who have not bowed the knee to Baal, and God kept them for himself as a remnant. And I want to say something to you. That small group that survived in Thyatira, God tells them, you know what, just keep doing what you're doing, you know, Avoid the moral rot of Jezebel. Avoid the, the sexual immorality of Jezebel. And hold the fort until I come. Keep doing what you're doing. I want to say something to you today. You and I need to purpose to be part of the remnant. You and I need to purpose to be those who refuse to bow the knee to Baal. That we will not participate with the wickedness of the world. Look, the world is getting really pushy. You got to do this, and you got to believe that, and you got to say this, and you can't say that, and you're not allowed to say that word. I love it when people tell me I'm not allowed to say a word. I just, it makes me just want to say it over and over again. You need medication. Yeah, I know, but you know what I'm saying? Like you, and and they, they say conform. You have to conform. You, you can't. And you know what? You and I have to say, no, we're not going to bow the knee to Baal. We're not going to conform. We're not going to participate. Be part of the remnant, the small group that survives. 
We're called to be salt and light. We're called to be the remnant. We're called to do it with the joy of the Lord. Look, we don't have to be angry. We don't have to be nasty. We don't have to be mean. We don't have to call people names. We just got to love everybody. You know, I hear people talking, oh, this group and that group, and my non-Christian friends, and they say, what do you think? I'm like, I love everybody, and they just look at me. They're like, you do. You're annoying. (laughs) But it's like, just love everybody, but that doesn't mean we bow our knee to the sin. Verse 24 and 25 tell us about the remnant, and it's a good thing. God says we're going to be judged for our works as individuals. Now, that's, that's an encouraging thing that, you know, we're not just getting lumped in. Uh, you know, as many as in Thyatira that, that do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan. Wow. You know, he's going to judge us for our works. Thank God that God judges us as individuals. You know that he doesn't look down and go, oh, all you Americans, I'm done with you. All you people in New York, I've had it with you. You know, uh, all you Protestants, all you Catholics. No, we stand before God and answer for our own lives. We can't say I was part of this group, I was part of this country, I was part of this party. No, that, none of that has anything to do with anything. It's our own lives. And so be part of the remnant, don't bow the knee, stand strong, love everybody, and hold fast. He says, I put no other burden on you. He's like, just keep doing what you're doing and hang in there because I'm coming for you. Verse 26 through 29 concludes with some of the promises. It says here in 26, and he who overcomes, say overcome. God still rewards overcomers, amen. And God's going to help us to overcome. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, I will give him power over the nations. Does that sound like a good reward? No, you didn't sound too excited. (laughs) Sounds like a lot of book work, power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces. So God's going to correct the nations, and there's going to be those who uh, the righteous are going to rule with him in the millennial reign and have positions of authority, and there's good gifts and there's blessings. I'll also give him the morning star. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. You know, this final encouragement to those there that were doing the right things, that didn't participate or condone with Jezebel, you know, they they were blessed and they had rewards coming, and it's good for us to remember. Pastor, it's hard. It's hard to stand against the whole flow of the culture. It's hard to be the odd person out all the time. It's hard to try and, you know, do what the Bible says to do and what Jesus wants me to do when it seems the whole world is going the opposite direction. I know it's hard. It's not supposed to be easy, but the rewards that are attached to us being faithful to Jesus are much, much more than anything the world has to offer us. Amen. And so we hold fast and we keep ourselves pure and we stay in love with Jesus and we avoid uh, compromise and we avoid corruption and we do it with a joyful heart. Even as the world implodes all around us and it gets crazy, can anyone agree it's crazy out there? You know, in just a few short years, what we, the darkness that we've seen, it is unbelievable. I'm scared of the people that don't say, no, it's not too bad, it's all right, you know. Price of gas is going down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's dark. But the darker it gets, the more light can shine. The darker it gets, the more we have an opportunity to preach the gospel. <clears throat> I want to conclude with one thing here, and we're going to just have a little time of prayer, but 
in dealing with the Jezebel spirit, I want you to understand Jezebel seeks to teach, to control, to manipulate, uh, and Jezebel will be fine until one thing happens. She'll, she'll hang in there, that spirit will hang in there until you say no. The one thing Jezebel can't handle is no. If there are people in your life when you tell them no, they completely come unglued and get wicked and try and attack and destroy you, you need to get on your knees and pray because God wants you to do some spiritual warfare to break that nonsense out of your life. No one should control you. No one should manipulate you. No one should have authority over you except the Holy Spirit. Jezebel can't handle no. She has to control. She has to manipulate. If there's people in your life that you can't tell no, you need to ask God to, to show you how to war against that spirit because it is not from God. Let's bow our heads. Just take a time in his presence just to let the Holy Spirit speak. Father, show us where we need to repent. Show us where we've allowed the corruption of this world to make our love for you fade, where we've compromised and the corruption of this world has replaced our first love. Show us, Lord. For those people in our lives, men or women that want to control us and can't hear no and won't allow us to be free of their control or manipulation, Father, we pray that you would identify them to us and that we would learn to war against that spirit because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And we don't want to tolerate and condone anything that you tell us to drive out. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Give him praise this morning.